The following message comes to you from the pulpit of Zion Primitive Baptist Church in Zion, Alabama. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com. Welcome to the Zion Primitive Baptist Church podcast. This podcast is an outreach of Zion Primitive Baptist Church located in the Zion community near Gordo, Alabama. I'm Elder Chris McCoon. I serve as pastor of Zion Church. We're a congregation of believers who trust in the simple message of God's sovereign grace, where families come together to worship God in spirit and in truth through the simplicity of preaching, praying, and singing. Zion Primitive Baptist Church is located at 9487 County Road 49, Gordo, Alabama. If you live in the Gordo area or if you are visiting in the area, please join us for worship. We meet every Sunday at 1030 a.m. and 5 p.m. and on the first and third Wednesday evenings at 630 p.m. Today's sermon is part of a series preached by Elder Buddy Abernathy from the pulpit of Zion Primitive Baptist Church regarding the book of Revelation. The book of Revelation is often misunderstood and misapplied. Some people even think of it as a scary book. But as you'll see from this message and the series that Brother Abernathy has preached, the book of Revelation is an encouraging book. It's a book that Christians under persecution can find great comfort from. We'll first have a song selection, followed by the message by Elder Buddy Abernathy. Continue today on the uh, book of Revelation, and we're still in chapter one. And this book is interesting in terms of preparing to preach on it because during the week I'll say, Lord, well, I don't know what this is talking about, but it seems like this morning He blessed me with some life that I didn't previously have. Now, before we get to the portion of chapter 1 that we're on, let me remind you of four important verses that we've looked at so far, and really just 
four portions of those verses. Now the first verse refers to the revelation of Jesus Christ. This is not the concealing of Jesus Christ, but it's the revealing of Christ. This is the disclosure of Jesus, not the veiling of Jesus. And you may say, well, Brother Buddy, when I read the book of Revelation, it seems like that a lot of it is closed up in terms of my understanding. And that may be the reason why in verse 1 he begins by saying, I am revealing Jesus Christ. Now the reason I believe that a lot of people think this book can't be understood is because they try to make it too complicated. Now, there are things that are complicated in terms of the details, but if you can look at the whole book in terms of the next two or three phrases I'm going to remind you of, and you can think of the whole book in light of those verses, it'll be helpful in terms of not straying away from the message of the book. There's a lot of wild ideas about Revelation. But notice, first of all, in uh, verse 5, the end of that verse, the second sentence, says, Unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. Now, a lot of people completely overlook that truth as they read Revelation. Most scholars believe that uh, Revelation was written uh, near the end of the first century. And even at that time, in which it was only about 60 years since Jesus walked on the earth, he here in the past tense, says that he loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. As we talk today, it was a done deal. You remember the angel told Joseph when he realized his wife was pregnant and he knew he wasn't the father. The Lord gave him some understanding and said that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. And she shall bring forth the son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Now that's not in the past tense, because Jesus had not yet saved his people from their sins. But the book of Revelation was written by John after, that is, about 60 years after, the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. And so he says in the past tense that Jesus loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. How many people study this book with the idea that it has a lot to do with people getting saved or people making it through the tribulation. There's so many doctrines taught from this book as if the salvation of God's people is not sure. It's still at play, so to speak. But this says he saved us. 
That ought to help us a lot with the rest of the book. And then look at uh, uh, verse 7. Okay, Jesus saved us. Now it says, Behold, he cometh with clouds, and every eye shall see him. Now, you could look up different verses in the New Testament that make reference to clouds. Uh, and you'll see that that's generally talking about the Lord's second coming when he will raise the dead and his people will be taken home with him. Now notice that there's nothing sandwiched in between these two events. We know Jesus set up the church, but as far as all these other supposed end time events, this just says he loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. And here's the next major event. Behold, he cometh with clouds. Now, Paul wrote letters to the New Testament church to teach them to anticipate his coming in their lifetime. And you may say, well, that didn't happen. Well, the idea there is that's to be our outlook. Whether you live in the first century or the 21st century, our purpose as a church is to worship the Lord and honor Him until He comes and takes us home. You may say, well, brother, buddy, that's so simple. That's right. See, there are things in the Bible that may be difficult to interpret and difficult to understand, but the overall message is a basic, simple message. You see, all through the Old Testament, those animal sacrifices were constantly telling God's people, Israel, that they needed a Savior. And finally, in the New Testament, Jesus came on the scene, and you remember what John said? Behold the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. That's the message of the Bible. And then finally, in terms of review, look at verse 9. I, John, who also am your brother and companion in tribulation. Now, the heading of the book of Revelation in my Bible, and perhaps in yours, says the revelation of Saint John the Divine. Well, that's not how John described himself. He says, I'm your brother. I'm on the same level as you. See, John wasn't some super spiritual being that figured out a lot of deep truths. He simply wrote what God revealed to him. Amen. You know, in those Old Testament prophets like Isaiah, for example, they didn't sometimes understand the interpretation or the application of some of the things they wrote even though God inspired them to write it. You know, if God came into this room and told me, buddy, write this down, that doesn't mean necessarily that I'm going to understand it all. That just means I'm the instrument through which God is writing His Word. He says, I'm your brother, and I like this. I'm your companion 
in tribulation. Tribulation refers to uh, mental pressure or stress. And certainly John went through that because he was banished to the Isle of Patmos. And we often face that. Jesus promised us, you know, there's some promises I don't particularly like in the Bible. He said, in the world ye shall have tribulation. But be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. And since he did, we will. Now let's go to verse 10. This is about where we left off. I think we concluded with this verse, but it's connected to that which follows. As a matter of fact, it's not the end of the sentence. The sentence goes from uh, verse 10, uh, I believe all the way down to uh, the end of verse 13. No, I didn't know if there's a period or a comma at the end of verse 11, but I believe that's a period if I'm seeing it right. So it's still a long sentence from verse 10 to the end of verse 11. Okay? He says, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. Now you remember last time uh, I got on to you a little bit, and whenever I get on to you, I'm getting on to myself. You remember we talked about Sunday being the Lord's day day but I want to emphasize today that he says I was in the spirit capital S I was in the spirit on the Lord's day now what's the difference between spirit with a capital S and spirit with a small s we you remember that verse that says uh, his spirit beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God as a born-again child of God, you have a new nature, a spirit in you which bears witness with the Spirit of God. And when we uh, meet together, and especially that should be the case on the Lord's Day, whether we're during the time of our assembly or throughout the day, he's, it's a good idea to be in the Spirit on the Lord's Day. You know, James said in chapter 4 and verse 4, draw nigh unto God and he will draw nigh unto you. I like this saying, and I know I've quoted it here before, if you don't feel close to God, guess who moved? It wasn't the Lord, was it? Draw nigh unto God and he will draw nigh unto you. Even the way to be filled with the Spirit is described by Paul as speaking to yourselves it's okay to talk to yourself. Speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, making melody in your heart to the Lord. Prayer and singing is a good way to be in the Spirit, not only on the Lord's day, but any day. But surely we all agree that when we're going to meet together with God's people, don't you want to be a good influence on others? As a matter of fact, in uh, Hebrews 10, about verse 25, one of the reasons that we're not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together, if you'll study that, is because we are not provoking one another unto love and good works. Now, we think of provoking people to wrath or to anger, but he here talks about provoking one another unto love and good works. I cannot encourage you at all 
if I'm not with you, if I'm not in communication with you, I know I could make a phone call or send you a card, and I sometimes do that. But the primary way we are to encourage one another on the Lord's day is by meeting together. So John was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, not because he was a superman spiritually, but he was our brother. And notice the term companion in tribulation. He was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and we can be in the Spirit as well. And here's what Jesus said, verse 11. And we've, he's already stated this same point in verse 8. The Bible says something once, it's sufficient. It says it more than once, it's very important. Think of the practical lesson in Proverbs that's stated twice, which says there is a way that seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. That's certainly an important principle, isn't it? The world likes to show you the beginning. Uh, the world doesn't show a drunk in the gutter. The world shows a man on the beach who's in perfect shape around a lot of girls. That's what the world shows you. They show you the beginning. The world shows you, and I know this shows how old I am, but those of you that are my age and older, you remember the Marlboro man, the cool man on the horse that smoked cigarettes? He died of lung cancer. The world didn't show you that. The world shows you the beginning. So that, that tells me that that verse stated twice is important. Well, here he states twice, and I believe there may be another time he states it. You study it out and see if you can find another place. But he says, I am Alpha and Omega, the first and the last. Jesus is saying, I'm everything. I'm the first and I'm the last. He tells John, what thou seest. Now notice, John's experience was a little different than some of the other writers in the New Testament. For example, Peter said that holy men uh, wrote as they were moved of God. That means God moved upon them. They had impressions. The Lord specifically put the thoughts in their mind and they penned them. But John saw the things that he wrote. You know, they say a picture is worth a thousand words. Seeing something gives you a lot more information than just a few statements. If you tell someone that was a beautiful portrait, that doesn't let you know much, does it? But if you actually see it, that gives you a lot of detail. Well, John's going to give us a lot of detail in Revelation because he's going to write about what he saw, not just what he heard. He says, verse, uh, Jesus says in verse 11 to John, What thou seest, write in a book, and send it unto the seven churches which are in Asia, unto Ephesus, and unto Smyrna, and unto Pergamos, and unto Thyatira, and unto Sardis, and unto Philadelphia, and unto Laodicea. Now I believe it's significant that there are seven churches. Seven in the Bible is the number for completion. And I believe one of the lessons 
that's very practical here that we need to remember is that while the local church is most important, the local church stands or falls before the Lord. We'll read later about candlesticks, and I'll be explaining some things about those, but the point that I want to say now is if the Lord removes the candlestick, it's over. We may still meet, we may still go through the motions, but it'll be more like a club than a gathering of God's people. But notice here, Jesus says, I want you to send this to the seven churches. Seven is the Bible number of completion. And I believe one of the things we need to glean from this, at least indirectly, is that we need the fellowship of sister churches. That strengthens us. That encourages us. You know, one of the things that helped me as a pastor, having served several different churches, did you know every church has a different personality? You may not notice that if you just visited there a few times, but as a pastor, you know, John referred to those that he pastored as his children in a spiritual sense. He said, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. Now, what parent would say all my children are just alike? <laughs> no, they all have a different personality. Now, I hope they're all godly, obedient children, but no matter how well you train them up, even if the things about their personality differences are all good, yet they have a different personality. And that's been the case with the different churches I've served. And hopefully we can benefit from the strengths of other churches. Zion Church has not arrived. And I don't think I have to convince you of that. Because I know you're like me. You don't feel like you've arrived. You don't feel like you've reached the standard. And if all of us feel that way, then the church is a body can benefit from the influence of other churches. You know, I attended the meeting at Bethlehem yesterday and heard uh, three preachers and got to visit with some of the members. And I'm not saying that's a substitute for you or that their fellowship is better than yours. I'm just saying it's different. You know, the Lord gives preaching gifts. But if you'll read Romans chapter 12 sometime and read about the gifts there, none of those are preaching gifts. He even refers to teaching. But that's not referring to the preacher. That's referring to the special ability that God's people have. You know, some show mercy. Some are able to visit someone that's sick and show mercy to them. Some of us may be totally uncomfortable with that. Some people may say, and this is all covered in Romans 12, that'd be a good sermon. Some people may say, well, just tell me what to do. They're in the hospital. You want me to cut their grass? What do I need to do? Some people, that's their niche, so to speak. Well, see, every one of us is different. 
And if everyone at Zion is different, then everyone at Bethlehem is different. And nobody at Bethlehem is just like anybody at Zion. So we can benefit from other churches. And these churches were geographically located in somewhat like a, a horseshoe. You know, kind of like this. And, of course, they didn't have the technology we did, but letters would be passed from one church to the next. So they all heard, they all were taught the same doctrine. So I would encourage you to visit special meetings at other churches. You know, to show you how I think, I love it when we have visiting preachers here. Not that I don't, feel like the Lord's given us gifts. He's given at least three preaching gifts that we know of so far. That every man has a different gift. I love those Sunday night meetings when we have a visiting preacher. Now, verse 12. John says, And I turned to see the voice that spake with me, and being turned, I saw seven golden candlesticks. Now, I think this is interesting. Notice he says, I turned to see the voice. I've never saw a voice, have you? You can't see a voice. So there must be some interpretation here that we may not see at first. Because we know that we don't actually see a voice, when somebody speaks, we hear a voice. But I saw this point this morning. Notice this. I turned to see the voice that spake with me, and being turned, I saw seven golden candlesticks. Now, I'm not guessing at this. He'll specifically say later in this chapter that the seven golden candlesticks are the seven churches. What is the main thing, really the only purpose a candlestick serves is to hold a candle that gives light. And obviously this is referring to spiritual light, isn't it? Paul said that, that, uh, that life and immortality is brought to light through the gospel. And that doesn't just apply to the gospel. It applies to any and everything in the Bible. The Bible brings light. You remember in Proverbs, it says, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Where is God's word and truth preserved? Is it in a college? Is it in a seminary? Seminaries are often the very place there's corruption where the virgin birth is denied, where the resurrection is denied. The Lord only promised to perpetuate and preserve truth through the church. I believe it's 1 Timothy 3.15. He told, Paul told Timothy, one of the reasons I'm writing to you is that you might know how to behave yourself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, and then notice this, the pillar and ground of the truth. 
The church is the foundation of the truth, and it's the support of the truth. Due to time constraints, we'll stop the message right here for today. But please join us tomorrow for the conclusion. If you would like to subscribe to our website, please go to www.zionpbc.com and sign up for email updates. If you have any questions, please feel free to contact the church at zionpbc1847 at gmail.com. That's zionpbc1847 at gmail.com. Or email me directly at jchrismacool at gmail.com. That's J-C-H-R-I-S-M-C-C-O-O-L at gmail.com. Again, thank you for listening. May the Lord bless you is my prayer. We thank you for listening to today's message. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com.